I'm Rob Angel, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go! Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tools, tips, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Apple founder Steve Jobs and says, Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. The reason that quote is so profound is because almost everything in life these days is trying to put you into a box, a box that's been crafted based on someone else's expectations of you, which is based on their own experiences and limiting beliefs. But as you've heard me say before, the most important opinion is how you feel about yourself. So live your life based on what you know you're capable of. And our guest today changed the world by bringing together fun, family and friendship in a product that has become a true household name. And the best part is that he did it based on what he knew what he was capable of, not what other people thought. In 1985, Rob Angel was in his mid-twenties and working in Seattle as a waiter, earning $2 an hour plus tips. With no business experience, no plan and no money, Rob created the phenomenally successful and iconic board game Pictionary. Remember, this was pre-internet, so Rob had to harness his intuition, resourcefulness and work ethic because he didn't even know what steps to take, let alone how to take them. After assembling the first 1,000 games by hand in his tiny apartment, Rob met the existing gaming conglomerates head-on and turned Pictionary into a global powerhouse. Within four years and with only two employees, Pictionary became the biggest selling board game in the world. For the next 15 years, Rob shepherded Pictionary to worldwide sales of more than 38 million games in over 60 countries and 45 languages. It's also appeared in Hollywood films like When Harry Met Sally, on TV shows like Friends, not to mention the countless licensing deals for brands such as The Simpsons and Austin Powers. In 2001, Rob said goodbye to his baby, selling the phenomenally successful Pictionary to toy giant Mattel. Since then, in addition to spending time with his family, Rob has kept busy as an investor, philanthropist and mentor to aspiring entrepreneurs. Recently, Rob released Game Changer, a Wall Street Journal best-selling book that reveals the dizzying highs and crushing lows of his Pictionary adventure. I finished the book in about two days. It's one of the best books I've ever read, and I highly recommend you grab a copy, especially if you want a roadmap to success on your own terms. In this interview, we'll go through how a waiter created the number one board game in the world, how he turned passion into a business, how he overcame self-doubt and imposter syndrome, when to know if your business is a winner, how to create a successful business without sacrificing in a piece, and a whole lot more. As we get started, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's someone who needs to hear this episode, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Rob Angel. Rob, great to see you, my friend. I am so excited for this episode. Pages and pages of questions. I have no idea how many we'll get through, but uh, it really means a lot to me that you're here today. So thanks so much for coming on the thanks show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, for the one person who who listening to this podcast or not watching uh, watching this on YouTube who doesn't know what Pictionary is, can you give a quick overview of what the game is and take us into the aha moment when you first created it? Yeah, Pictionary is a super simple game. It's drawing pictures to your teammates, and having them guess the word. That's it. If you do enough words, guess enough words, you win the game. 
And so it's super con- a super easy concept to understand, which I think is one of the main benefits and reason it was successful. And it started just as a hobby, just as an idea. I graduated from college, Western Washington University in Bellingham, and I moved in with three buddies. You know, typical 22-year-old, no real pro- prospects, didn't know what I want to be when I grow up, uh, you know, just to really have a plan. But I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur or do my own thing, and I was going to be open and present and aware. And that just basically means when the opportunity came to me, I'd be ready for it. And one night, my roommate says, hey, you want to play this new game I learned at college? Charades on paper. Sure. Now, I didn't know my life was about to change. It was like, okay, let's play, you know, typical night. And we got a dictionary and just started sketching words out of the dictionary. And then we did it the next night and the next night and the next night. It was like, holy crap. And this is 1982. So there was no distractions. There was no YouTube. There was no, no video games. And I just thought, this would make a great board game. I mean, I've got to do something with this. It was like, uh, it wasn't an aha moment, but it was, I got to share this with the world. And that was just my original intention. It wasn't, you know, I'm going to make a business and make a million dollars. It wasn't, I'm going to be rich. It was, how do I share this fun with the world? And that's what kind of got me started thinking about it. You've had so many amazing memories as you as you list in Game Changer. Again, it's an incredible book. You have to check it out. You've had so many amazing memories from playing board games with friends, with yeah. family, and even with complete strangers. What is the inherent power of a board game? Escape, right? It's, it's like going to a movie or playing a game or watching TV. It's escapism. So for those moments you're playing the game and you're playing Pictionary, really nothing else exists. And you're in the moment. You're in the present. And when you're watching a movie, it's the same thing. And I think that's one of the superpowers of games is that, and I and I discovered with Pictionary in the long run, is that people just were in that second and were able to com- communicate and have fun and collaboration. And I kind of look at like a rock concert, like you're in that moment. You may not remember, you may not remember the words, but you remember the emotion. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, some of the things that I love doing, things like surfing or tennis or whatever it might be. It's those things that enable you to be present that you feel super addicted to because it can, yeah, it contributes to that inner peace. And what I love about your journey is that you were, you were always so open to whatever the universe was going to throw at you. And I know we'll get into a ton of those different things shortly. Oh, yeah. So you had this thing that you were passionate about. Where does passion meet business? So uh, people get passionate about a whole sure. bunch of different things. How do you take something from passion to, to business? And when do you know that it's a good fit? generally you don't right and i think following your passion uh, doesn't always work right i don't i think it's misnomer follow your passion and whoever they are they tell you to follow your passion they don't tell you how to find that passion right they just assume you'll stumble into it Uh, but i think you have to ask yourself three questions Um, are you in love with this idea so i loved pictionary i wasn't thinking in the future is it going to be a great business am am i going to make money it was like I love this idea. So do you love the idea? Two, do a little research. I mean, nowadays, you know, you can see if somebody else has done it. Doesn't mean you can't, right? But I play tested the game. Okay, people like this more than just I do. And then are you willing to do the work? I mean, people sometimes forget that there's actual jobs to do and partners to find. And so you have to be willing to do the work and sacrifice. And if you're willing to do those things and verbalize them, then you have something at least to get started. Yeah, it's about motivating yourself through the grunt work, those reps that people uh, don't want to do. They don't tell you that in, in uh, entrepreneurial school. Yeah. It's kind of boring sometimes on your own, right? I didn't have a lot of people saying, Rob, you can't do it. So there wasn't this motivation 
for people to show them wrong. But it was like, I had to do it. I had to be there by myself many, many days. And that was enough motivation to see it through. But you got to motivate yourself somehow. Yeah, for sure. Well, within four years, Pictionary, mm-hmm. your creation had become the biggest selling board game in the world, which probably feels a little bit surreal for you to, to even hear <laughs> these days in 2021. Like, I grew up playing Pictionary. I spoke to my yeah, mum yeah. the other day on the phone, and she's like, remember all the fun times we had playing Pictionary uh, as a family in, in Australia so many years ago? Once you recognised that this fun game of yours had significant commercial appeal, yeah. how did you know what to do next? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> all right? But I think, I think when I came up with it, and I saw the idea, the opportunity. I think I did what a lot of people do. I procrastinated. I did nothing. Right? It was like I wasn't ready and self-doubt and how do I get started because it was such a freaking mystery on what to do because I was a waiter. And so business plans, marketing plans, I'm going, I'm out. No way. So I just bummed around for three years, basically. But, it, but I couldn't stop thinking about the idea. Right? It never left my consciousness. I kind of liken it to when you're in the shower and you have these amazing ideas, you're washing your hair, but by the time you're out of the shower drying your hair, you forgot. But that wasn't me. I couldn't, you know, get rid of it. My brain was just overtaken. So I was waiting for the opportunity or the, the lightning bolt. And I was looking at Trivial Pursuit. And I knew that the words, by the way, were the things that people would buy, right? You have to sell something. So I was selling convenience in a package, mm-hmm. but the words... That was the linchpin. And so I see Triple Pursuit. And I'm, I look at the card, and then I turn it over for the answer, and I, look, and I go, holy shit. <laughs> I, go, I put the words on cards. I mean, it was literally, it was like, okay, the, the problem I'm solving was how do I put words into the game? That's how I do it. I literally said, F it, went in the backyard, opened up a dictionary, and started the word list. And I wrote down the first word, aardvark, aardvark. That was it. And I got started. And that was the beginning of Pictionary. And leaning into that idea, I guess you're just so much more aware. You just opened up to all those different ideas as you're playing different board games and finding inspiration from everywhere. There's a quote I want to mention to you from your from your book. You said, working with limited resources fostered our creativity and innovation. Working with limited resources fostered our creativity mm. and innovation. That stood out to me because I heard Steve Wozniak, the Apple co-founder, say something similar as well about what, what made Apple so successful early on when they were trying to compete with all the big dogs back right, in right. the day. I think it's really important for people to understand that that scarcity of resources can foster uh, imagination and innovation and actually be a really good thing can you share more about that and what that looked like in a practical sense in your journey yeah it's it's when you have too much information you're not creative right and so i looked at as the not knowing uh and the unknown as a positive i loved not knowing what was going to happen next i loved not knowing how to market so i had to figure figure it out as i as i went along i mean just manufacturing the board game there's no manufacturers that we knew of that could manufacture the game. So limited resources, we couldn't find somebody, or more importantly, we couldn't pay anybody. <laughs> so we had to manufacture the first thousand games by hand, nine different companies in my apartment by hand. Uh, when it came to marketing, uh, our marketing budget was zero. <laughs> zero, I mean, we had no money. So we had to be creative. So it's at some point you just, no, not at some point. You always just have to trust your instinct, right? You just got to go for it. And that's what we did day after day. 
was a blast. Yeah, very much those guerrilla marketing strategies of, of getting the word out there when you've got a marketing budget of, of literally zero. You know, it was, it was, they say, you know, break the rules. Well, I forgot to ask what the rules were. Yeah. Right? So I just kind of made my own. My partners and I, every day was an adventure. Literally, it was like Prairie Dog. Every day I'd wake up and I'd go, okay, what are we going to do today? What are we going to sell? How are we going to market? What are, I don't know. Let's just try something. That was, I mean, I absolutely love those early days when they're not knowing. That was the best part. You know, there's a big thing that I picked up on from your book, Game Changer. It's that you never left the key to your happiness in someone else's pocket. You hit the pavement. You close the deals yourself. You ensured yeah. quality control. You kept the team tight and committed. Yeah. How important was your appetite for doing the reps yourself, first of all, but also quality control for Pictionary along the whole way, whether it was with people you were licensing to and all of those different things you were doing at these different territories? How important was doing the reps yourself and the quality control attitude that you maintained for the scale of what Pictionary became? Without it, it wouldn't have scaled. So that's a whole different ball of wax is the scaling part. But in the beginning, having only two partners, you know, the three of us, we had to control everything. The last thing we needed was one of those thousand games to go somewhere that we didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe it would go in somebody's warehouse and never see the light of day. We needed those games out in public, right? It was sampling. That's all we were doing. We we're test marketing those games to see how the public would react. And we needed to be able to get, my philosophy was, if I couldn't drive the games and deliver them myself, we didn't take the order, right? <laughs> that way we could demonstrate and promote and market the books. We had to make noise in a small geographic area. So this wasn't like now, I'm not sounding sour grapes, I promise, <laughs> I promise. You know, you get an influencer and you just blast it out and you see what would happen. But I literally had to control, physically control where those went. And that's why we made noise that's where people paid attention it was easier to go to the seattle where we launched uh newspaper and say hey i'm a local guy do you want to do an article sure what's going to happen in chicago so keeping it local keeping a tight control over everything was key to our success i know a lot of this was in the 80s and 90s but i feel like reading yeah. your book there are so many lessons today that have almost been forgotten in this digital age that people are in they 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 think that they're going to, they want this magic bullet to success. They think all of these sales are going to happen automatically. That no, no, no. Build it, they come type thing. They really underestimate that it's actually by being able to, to get out there and do that legwork yourself to put it in as many hands as possible. And, That's the key. And, and I think one of the, bi the big problems, if you will, with Kickstarter is exactly that reason. Mm. People have an idea, and I love the fact that people get their products made. I mean, oh my God. That's fantastic for what they do. But people don't realize there's work to be done. Mm. Just making and getting your friends to buy in, and now you've got a thousand games. We well, got to market those. It's not like they're you know you give your friends whoever invested, uh, you know a hundred. What are you going to do with those other thousand? So you really got to think, and you have to think things through. Not just I have a product. How are you going to sell it? And the other thing is people kind of forget it's got to be a good product. Mm. This is that passion thing right i play tested pictionary because i thought it was fun but what if it was just because the beer we were drinking right <laughs> we drink a lot of beer back then let's be honest and so maybe it was the beer i don't know beer and pizza makes everything fun oh my gosh uh <laughs> that's why we that was our capital right that's everything we ever spirit we had was beer and pizza but you've got to remember there's a business there and that's that sacrifice part um I, you know i hear stories all the time that so the manufacturing on kickstarter took too much 
then the people couldn't even afford to ship the games, mm. right? So you got to make sure you're paying attention. And I always ask people, what's your motivation? What's your intention? For me, intention of Pictionary was to share this with the world, right? Mm. That was my intention. So ask yourself, what is your intention? If it's to make money at a game without knowing your product, I wouldn't do it because there's not a lot of money. If it's to create a job for yourself, which is also fine, uh, maybe, but you got to make sure you market. And if it's just to say you did it, just check to see if it's worth your time, right? Is your energy really served by doing that? Mm -hmm. And it's a hard call, man. This is not, this is not like, well, Rob, I really like this product. Well, then do it. But just really understand why you're doing it and say it out loud. I think this is the one thing people just kind of, myself included, what am I yelling at other people? Myself included. It's like, hmm, this is a good idea. <laughs> say it out loud. See if it resonates. If it does, go for it. Yeah, great advice. There's a mantra that you repeat in Game Change. You said, we take care of Pictionary and Pictionary <laughs> will take care of us. We take care of Pictionary and Pictionary will take care oh, of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you take us into what that means specifically and how it aided your decision-making for you and your business partners along the way? You know, it it goes back to, again, the same thing, the intention, right? As long as we are true to that game, our, our baby, we treated it like a baby. I mean, it wasn't a game. You know, the first time I looked at it, it was like, oh, it's so sweet. I'm holding <laughs> in my arms. And I'm like, and seriously, that first game that came off the production line, I mean, I'm going to, do my best not to get choked up now after 35 years. It was a huge deal, huge emotional uh, attachment. But but our mission was to keep the game the way it was. This is what people enjoy. We took we thought of our consumer, not what was best for us, not the money, what was best for the consumer. That game was perfect the way it was. We adapted. But the, the, the money flew, uh, would flow from that. So when people wanted to change the packaging, which becomes a big issue later, we can talk about, <laughs> we said no, right? The gameplay was still the same, but when somebody wanted to change out some of the graphics, somebody wanted to maybe do uh, something else, we always said no. Or it was a marketing idea that didn't meet the family values of Pictionary. So we never went for the money, but it kept, so it kept Pictionary or your product or whatever you're trying to sell to what really its core was and if it's going to be successful then it'll be successful but don't fuck with it mm -hmm. and and that's what we did and we turned down so many deals so much money over the years um because it didn't serve the product mm -hmm. which in turn served us i mean it was selfish let's be honest right this isn't like ooh, pictionary it was like no we wanted to make it successful so we'd be successful and I think that's success over the long term, too. It's hard for someone who doesn't understand the DNA of the brand or the product to be right. able to make decisions for someone else who's going to be playing it where they don't really, yeah, they just don't really understand it. Yeah, that, I mean, what you just said, long term versus, versus short term, mm. that was huge. If we were in it for the money short term, I wouldn't be sitting here. Mm. Picture it would have died out years ago. But I saw the golden goose, right? I saw what it could do, and I wasn't going to give that up. I mean, it was... People have exit, exits now. They make a bunch of money, and they're serial entrepreneurs. Mm. I love that, by the way. That's not me. Man, I was selling millions. I've got a golden goose. Why would I would I give that up, right? I look at, like I do now, I buy one-way tickets, going places. Because I figure, if I get somewhere and I'm having fun, <laughs> why would I want to leave? Same thing with Pictionary. I was making money. I was having fun. So for literally 20 years of my life, I nurtured that thing. 
And when we're talking about making money here, you'll find out when you read Game Changers, we're talking about licensing money. Sharon Lecter, do you know Sharon Lecter? Sure. Yeah, Sharon Lecter said to me once, there is no better money than royalty money or, or licensing money, money that just comes out from you really doing nothing. There was a point <laughs> in your life where some of the biggest companies and brands in the world were knocking down your door, throwing money at you to basically license their products. What's better money, having sold the company and receiving that money or having ongoing seven-figure, six-figure? I know your first check was, was six figures. That's a, a big part of Game Changer. But having that licensing money or the, the money when you close the sale? <laughs> I... I've never been asked that question <laughs> because everybody assumes, I don't, I don't know what people assume. Mm -hmm. The answer is we made a lot more money on the licensing mm -hmm. than we did selling. And it was a big number when we sold, mm -hmm. it's in the public record. Mm -hmm. So the money was great and it's mailbox money. Mm -hmm. However, we worked our asses off for those, <laughs> those extra 17 years. I think the story you're referring to is we did all these things in Seattle, we became very successful sold 8,600 games, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it was huge for an independent company. And we couldn't scale. So we had to figure out how to get on a national uh, audience. We just didn't have the financing. Typical startup. startup yeah. yeah, typical. And so licensing became our option, which is basically somebody would do the manufacturing and distribution for us, pay it on their nickel, and give us a royalty. Sounds perfect to us. Sounds really great. So we had a deal, uh, a meeting with Worlds of Wonder, the Teddy Ruxman people, and the deal didn't work out, but I learned a huge lesson. One of the most valuable lessons I ever learned was, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And that was the beauty of licensing. It wasn't like we were gonna have, when I started, when I, we got into it, I was gonna have employees, I was gonna have offices, be, you know, Rob Angel, Mr. Pictionary. No, we decided to license so we could keep more money. We had two employees. Milton Bradley, biggest game company in the world, comes to us with a deal. And we're talking it out through, and they promised us all these things, and packaging, as we talked about earlier, and, and whatnot. Deal comes, contract comes. And I'm 26 years old. I'm making $500 a month, and actually living pretty well, $500 a month, driving a 10-year-old beater car. Contract comes, first thing in the contract was the royalty rate. Now again, money. That was the biggest royalty rate they'd ever given an independent game company ever, ever. It was about 5 million bucks to me over time. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's like going to Costco. I was thinking of things, buying things I never even knew I needed. <laughs> you go through the aisles. I'm buying cars. I'm, I got a second home. I'm in the Bahamas. I'm on the beach. This is awesome. This is going to work out great. Then the marketing spend was there. The advertising. But the last thing they didn't, put in because we couldn't find it, they wouldn't touch the packaging. Now on the surface, without our approval, now on the surface, it's more than just packaging. They weren't men of the word. They told us they would put it in the contract because it was very important to us. So here I am, pen in hand, and I'm going through my mind, I'm going, sign the contract. I mean, you're, you're ready. Integrity is more important to me than the money. I mean, it really was, if I can't trust them, I can't do business with them. Mm. So we said, no, no plan B. This isn't like I had somebody in my hip pocket. I was willing, as Simon Sinek calls it, uh, my just cause. I was willing to go back to waiting tables and failure mm. and give up the money rather than give up my principles. Um, next day, I remember the next, you know, it sounds romantic. It sounds like, come on, Rob, you're, I was dead serious. It was that important 
to do business with people we trust. So the next day, I'm in the show, uh, the uh, storeroom, and the night before, I'm you know remember I'm calling Pictionary. Now I'm looking at this box going, "You son of a bitch! <laughs> you co- you cost me my money!" I you know for a day I was like, "Come on!" So like to say it was all you know hunky dory, <laughs> but then I got back to it, and and just got back to work, and then uh, finished up the story because of that. Uh, a joint venture. Every, everybody now knew we were in play, right? So the universe was letting everybody know that uh, and Milton Bradley turned us down or we turned them down. And a joint venture formed with all the guys who sold Trivia Pursuit, the manufacturer of all the Trivia Pursuits, and the gentleman who coordinated everything formed a joint venture, gave us more money and all the guarantees we wanted. We never looked back, and it was a much better deal for us, and they were integrity, and, and it was just a matter I got, the universe was speaking. It let us know. You know, relationships, it sounds like for you, have been absolutely everything, but it's specifically the integrity of those relationships. Yeah. I wanted to know, so it wasn't just your business partners, it was so many other stakeholders involved throughout that process for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. With your business partner specifically, what did you do to make sure you maintain that integrity of that relationship to keep it together over the over the long term? Yeah, it, it was, I knew that integrity, but it was never put to the test, mm. right? And so we had some manufacturing problems in the beginning. And we were supposed to sort the first 500, uh, excuse me, 1,000 games, had uh, 500 cards each. That's half a million game cards. Long story, the printer couldn't sort them for us. And we already sent out the invitations for the launch. We're under the gun. we got eight days. And so <laughs> I threw a tantrum. Okay, I admit this, right? <laughs> it's the only time where I didn't, I took it personally, right? I learned in business don't take things personally. It wasn't like the printer was sitting in his office going, how can I screw with Rob today? <laughs> how can I make his day miserable? No, it just happened, right? The facts don't change. And, but this terrible thing happened. So my partners and I did it by hand and it was a terrible job, but it bonded us, right? <laughs> we got to communicate. We knew we could count on each other and that set us up, right? With those, those challenges and it's, everybody says it in business and it's true. When things are going well, awesome if things never go bad you probably goofed up somewhere because something's going to go wrong yeah and because it did it it cemented our relationship our friendship our business so it turned into a very big positive yeah it's like how you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes is what separates the the real achievers and it's going to strike it's how you respond to it i mean i hate to be cliche i mean every book you read and every uh, social media and everybody that's an influence you know it's how you respond well it's true I try again, I'll say it again, try, not always with success, but don't take things personally. Mm. So you knee jack, knee jerk reaction, just go, wait a minute, let's take a second. How do we fix it? Because it's gotta be fixed. So, yeah. The mental health part of entrepreneurship is something that I know that you and I both think needs far more awareness. You experience self-doubt, negative self-talk, imposter syndrome, depression, all of those things and more along the journey. Is there a particularly dark day that stands out on the entrepreneurial journey for you? And if so, what did you do to get back on track mentally? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, it's a little secret they don't tell you. They tell you in entrepreneurial school, you got to push hard and you got to make sure you're working 24-7 and you've got to, you know, push, push, push. Well, that's what I wound up doing. And about four or five, six years in, uh, I changed my mission from and helping the world, you know, giving Pictionary to the world and people having fun to 
how do I make more money, right? How do I, how do I push this game? And it wasn't burnout. It was complete and total anxiety. Mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable with myself. My authentic self had left and I was so off balance. I was so out of alignment. And back then we're talking early nineties before now we all know I was moody, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And so for a couple of years, I was getting in fights with my partners over nothing Mm. and I wouldn't show up for work periodically and it just became untenable. So I took a leave of absence. That's all I could do. I had to remove myself and recalibrate and uh, took about six months and I came back to the business and the the partners left me and you left me. the partners accepted me and, and took up the slack, but you don't have to do that, right? You can pre warn if you will. Um, Take an hour for yourself every day. And whether it's meditation, watching television, working out, but don't work out thinking about your business because mm-hmm. guess what? If you're not there for 20 minutes, it's gonna be there when you get back. It's not like it'll fail if you take time. So take time for yourself. You know, I do believe in meditation, and but if that just sounds so hoo-hoo and off the wall, take a walk, uh, watch, mindless, anything but you've got to take care of yourself mentally and spiritually and physically, basically to be more productive and make more money and be more successful. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah, you mentioned earlier how everyone's talking about finding a passion, finding a mm-hmm. passion, and then people drive themselves crazy, almost into that frenzy you just mentioned by trying to figure out what their passion is. I get Even I get asked that question constantly, almost yeah, every yeah. week about how do I go and find my passion? Yet no one talks about how do you find that inner peace? Like how do you, if you can achieve a success, find passion and have inner peace at the same time? Is there anything for people when they're first starting out, when they have to work hard and hustle hard to get those things done? What is the role of passion and how can they harness inner peace so they can have that at the same time? Or is there just no real balance in the short term if you're doing something like launching a a product that could be potentially changing the world? (laughs) Uh, that's a long question, uh, <laughs> answer. I think you'll know, right? It's following your intuition. If you're off balance, you'll know. Try to figure out how to get to center. If an idea that you have for a business, if it's not resonating, don't push it through. Just pay attention to your gut. Pay attention to what your brain and your heart, more importantly, I take that back. Pay attention to what your heart is saying because your brain is going to overwrite it. Human nature, physicality says, let me analyze this. Let me figure this out. But if this isn't working, um, and it's not am I in love and all these things, but but you have to uh, you have to pay attention to your emotions and your feelings. And it's never going to end, by the way. This whole conversation, I've been doing it my whole life, right? We've all been doing it in the spiritual journey and all these things. You're never done. So you just can make uh, accommodations as you go along whatever worked for you, and that makes it all worthwhile. And I, one of the things I say is nibble at the edges. Nibble at the edges. Because if you sit around, like I said for a picture, I waited for three years. If you're waiting for that one moment, ooh, I'm passionate, I found it, I'm ready to go. Unless you try a lot of things, you're not going to know, mm. right? So nibble at the edges. You don't have to go all in right away. Uh, I play tested a few times. I still really wasn't sure if I wanted to go all in with Pictionary. But the more I started doing it, but I was doing other things as well. So nibble at the edges of a lot of different projects and ideas. When one comes to the forefront, then you go all in. Well, how did you reach the decision to sell Pictionary? 
Uh, it was time. Hmm. Uh, after 17 years, 20 years with the product, uh, our international license was becoming available. And I had had a family by then. And I was just ready for a new adventure. Mm. I was ready to start something new. And and we'd made a lot of money, but we'd had a lot of fun doing it. Mm. And it, it was just time. You mentioned before about what the, the attributes and, and fun and everything else that comes around from playing a board game. If you were to launch Pictionary in, in 2021 and that hadn't existed previously, how do you feel about digital games? Is that the type of thing that you would have gone down or were you would you have been all in on a physical game even if it wasn't the way that most people wanted to play games these days? My guess is because now the culture is video games. I probably would have looked at that. I still am too, by the way. I'm not done creating. I love creating, <laughs> right? So I'm not done. But it's a medium of the day. And the board game is what people played in 1985. And that's mm. why it was the top of mind. That's why I went that direction. Mm. There's an Albert Einstein, uh, Albert Einstein quote I heard recently. I'd love to get your perspective on. I've never mentioned this to anyone before. Uh -oh. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. I believe he left that on a napkin for someone who was cleaning. I just room. heard this story a couple of days ago myself. Did it you? must be making the rounds. Yeah, yeah, I mean, probably. Like a friend yeah. of mine called me, I gotta hear this. Yeah. One of our Facebook friends might have, uh, might have shared that. Maybe that's what it was. How do you feel about that quote in terms of, of the whole mental health journey? Oh, yeah, it resonated, right? Yeah. Completely. Mm. It's, it's the, the being in lack right the restness of i need more i need to compete i need to do what they're doing man that's just human nature mm. right it's not to be i'm gonna say ashamed it's just the way it is but the awareness of it of your triggers of the problem of the situation that's that's the start mm. if you just keep going without stopping and reflecting that's where the trouble starts at least it did for me Right? I just kept going and going and pushing and pushing. And so the restlessness uh, comes from lack. The restlessness comes from outside influences, mm. outside sources. And the last seven or eight years, I've gone on a spiritual journey. Mm. I hate the term, by the way. <laughs> I hate the term spiritual journey. It just conjures up all this, I'm going to go find myself. No. <laughs> no. But... It, it, for me, it's a journey to self, mm -hmm. right? I need to be more heart-centered. And so this, this quote totally resonates because when I am heart-centered, and it's a constant battle, if you will, it's a mm. constant pursuit. You're never, well, I'm never quite there. Mm. And that's okay. I like the journey. I like the, the, the trying. But once you're more happy, confident, secure, in even small amounts, you'll be less restless, mm. you'll be more confident, and you'll be more successful. I mean, that's that's the nature of what we're trying to get here to, right? Mm. And whatever success looks like, it doesn't have to be money, it doesn't have to be a game, it could be joy, it could be success, it could be uh, nonprofit, giving back, it doesn't matter, it's not my job to tell you, mm. but just articulate success, go inward, and you get there faster. What I love so much about the things you've shared today is that it's looking after yourself first should be the number mm -hmm. one priority. It's almost like before you focus on anything else, any of these external activities that you want to do, it's making sure that you're right internally, have that intent for everything that you want to do, yeah, make yeah. sure that you've got those daily practices to, to look after yourself and then everything else you'll be in a lot more alignment with. And I got to say one other thing about that. Mm -hmm. When you don't do your daily practices, give yourself permission to say it's okay. Mm -hmm. 
because I beat myself up all the time over what I'm not doing. Oh, crap. I missed my meditation today. Oh, crap. I missed it for two days. Now I'm going, oh, I'm, I'm all angst driven. No, not anymore. It's like, okay, I missed it. I'll do it tomorrow. So give yourself permission to not be perfect. Give yourself permission to say it's okay and you'll get it tomorrow. It's that it's that self, not doubt, it's just that self beating yourself up. Stop it. And that's that's a lesson I tell myself every day. That's not conjecture. That's not out of a book. Uh, that's something I constantly, constantly preach to myself. Yeah, it's easy for us to be compassionate to other people, but it's hard, very oh, hard for so ourselves, hard. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, be compassionate. This spiritual journey that you've been on for the last seven or eight years, what are some what are some highlights or what are some uh, some lessons <laughs> or things that you learn on that? I know you've been to Burning Man. I'm sure yeah, you've done Burning. a whole bunch of other things. Is there any stuff that you want to reveal for the first time today or, or what things come to mind? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, I've been, I've been enjoying the journey. I mean, I've you know, done some ayahuasca. That yeah. was an interesting... Uh, Where was that? That was I did in Peru. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. That was one of those skeptical, mm -hmm. I'd heard about it. Finally, I was called, if you will. You know, again, that woohoo stuff. But I, <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, though, seven, eight years ago before I started this, I had a friend that was talking about, you got to surrender and being present and holding space. And I'm going, come on, this is ridiculous. Well, finally, I bought in. Uh, so I'm doing that. So yeah, no, it's it's uh, trying all, I can say, going on all the rides. Mm. I try all new things just to see what works, what doesn't. And ayahuasca worked pretty well for me. Can you take us into ayahuasca for those who don't haven't heard of it? Like I think for entrepreneurs in particular, it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. A lot of people I've heard are even doing ayahuasca here in the states without having to go to South right. America or Central America. For those who don't know anything about it, what is what does it involve, and, and how was your experience specifically? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. First thing I say, it's not for everybody. Is don't try this at home. I am not the expert. I'm looking right in the camera when I say this. This is not my job. I'm not promoting anything. Is that enough disclaimers? Use affiliate code Rob for a ten percent off every ayahuasca. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, no, it's just uh, it was a way for me to to find out more of my triggers, to find out you know what made me tick. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm doing all this spiritual work, there we go again with that term. Um, you know, which includes coaches and therapy, all these things. So it just was a, a way to get more clear, if you will. Um, and it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you're not called, it's a no-no. <laughs> I'm going to keep qualifying that. But it was just another another tool that I found really uh, resourceful for me. What about things like touchstones? And, and is there anything specifically that you can use to help people shift their energy? Maybe they're in a, a negative mindset or they're feeling like they've got that brain fog. Are there any tools and things like that that you can share with people to help yeah, them shift their energy? Yeah, we talked about this. So I, I'm a big fan of touchstones. And for me, that's something physical to remind me of something I'm doing or want to remember. And so for me, what I do is if I've had a great conversation or I've had a great idea or something magical has happened, I'll pick up a stone or something small, and to remember it, and I'll hold it, right? And this is this is what you should do, or this is what I recommend. So if there's something you want to remember, and it could be as simple as something I've said today that's resonated, or you, you've had an idea and you want to remember it, or there's some emotion, it's usually an emotion, something you want to remember, I pick it up, I put it in my hand. So if, you've, if you're sitting at home right now, do this. Pick something up, I put it in my hand, I hold it. And this is, this is kind of a Joe Dispenza thing that I've kind of... Uh, alliterated on and I hold my hand and I close my eyes and I think about what's in my hand and I think what it represents 
And then I attach this emotion to it. I just don't remember what it is. I remember how I feel, right? It's how you feel. That's the important thing. And so when I let go, it's right there in the palm of my hand and I put it on my desk and I've got these stones all over my house. I mean, I've got hundreds of these things. And so next time, whatever you just held in your hand and you look at it, remember the emotion you felt with it. And that's the memory. That's the touchstone. And do it time and time again if it resonates with you. And it's just a remembrance of an emotion. And for me personally, super, super powerful because I forget visions. I forget things that I see. I forget um, the conversation, specific conversation. But when I've had this amazing, heartfelt conversation with somebody, I know how it felt. I know the emotion. I remember the words. And these touchstones remind me. And it's something I practice, I preach, and I, I really think if you give it a try, it will for you too. So they bring you back into that, into that feeling is when you were there experiencing it? That's exactly what it is. It's all about the feeling. So it's like Pictionary, right? Going back to that. You don't remember the words mm. of Pictionary. You may remember one or two of the sketches, but you remember how you felt. You remember the emotion. You remember who you were playing with. You kind of remember the joy. Mm. That's what these touchstones are to me. And uh, I'll just quick say, it started when my father passed mm. and his favorite color was yellow. And I'm going through and I'm sad and I'm going through a gem shop past the gem shop and there was these yellow stones and I don't cry dad's speaking to me mm-hmm. hello dad you know he was there and I bought a bunch of these things and I gave one to everybody at the funeral mm-hmm. Every- yeah, wow. everybody at the funeral and to this day I carry them with me in my travel bag he's always with me so uh, they're powerful mm. I love that thank you for sharing that um, that's really interesting and I know there's a lot of people particularly with what's happened with COVID the last year and a half a lot of people are struggling right now um, using something like touchstones are a great way to help shift that energy and, and focus on the on the bigger picture when you don't feel like it. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned with Game Changers, your intent with Pictionary was to create a game that was so entertaining, so fun, and so engaging. What experiences in your life today give you those same feelings? <laughs> wow. Uh, exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm totally in explore- exploration mode again. Um, well, you know, the book for a while, writing the book was an interesting process. Probably therapy for you. Therapy. <laughs> you know, I, I was very cathartic. Even though, I, you know, when I started it, it wasn't cathartic. I wasn't looking to change me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just remembering everything was crazy to go through it and the stories and calling the people that were involved. You know, and they remembered things differently than me. I mean, that was interesting as well. But it's my book, so... <laughs> whatever, in there, whatever is in there is how I remember it. Uh, so yeah, so right now I'm exploring, um, and I'm, you know, looking at uh, turning the book into a, into a uh, docu series. Mm-hmm. That's kind of keeping my attention these days, and uh, just trying new things. I love, I still love travel, mm-hmm. meeting new people, new experiences that way. That's really one of my, one of my joys. Mm-hmm. It's that new experience, new people, new events. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the hunger for, for future achievements with all the amazing things you've done with retaining happiness in the present? It's hard. Mm. It's hard. There's, I'd love to say I'm perfect and, oh, my gosh, look at me. My life's perfect. No. It's a, it, I almost said it's a daily struggle, but that's, it's not a daily struggle. Struggle is not the right word. It's a daily pursuit, mm. right? My, my daily pursuit, my girlfriend calls it the daily pursuit of not stressing. Right, so the more stressed I am, 
the less creative I am. So that's my daily pursuit. If things stress me, I try desperately mm-hmm. to not be there, uh, to not go in that that direction. Uh, and it's a it's a hard balance. But I really like the trying now, right? This journey that I'm on, the tools I've learned have really given me, uh, <laughs> I want to say, hope for the future. My future is <laughs> not so bad. My present is not so bad. But it's yeah, it's a daily pursuit. It's hard, isn't it? You just feel those things in your, in your brain that just wants to push, push, push. And if you let it, then all of a sudden you fall out of whack with your daily practices. And before you know it, it's like, wow, how did I get here again? So being well, true to those daily practices seems uh, to keep 100%. And for the record, I don't have a lot of daily practices. Mm -hmm. I know you're supposed to meditate every day and you're supposed to wake up at the same time. You know, I do my best. Mm -hmm. So it's not um, something I know works. (laughs) So listen to my words. Don't listen to what I do. (laughs) Do it every day. But I don't, I don't, but I do my best. Mm -hmm. And when I do it, I feel great. When I don't, it's okay. A big part of what you're doing now is helping aspiring entrepreneurs uh, find mm-hmm. their aardvark, get their business right, off, right. off the ground. Is there a specific blueprint that you like to take them through or there are, are there certain questions that you like to ask them to make sure that they're clear on their idea or to help figure out if their idea actually has legs? What do you, what do you mainly focus on when you're working with, with aspiring right. entrepreneurs? I, it's all, it goes back to what I said earlier. What is your intention? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's, and it doesn't have to be just a game or anything else. Why do you want to do this? Because, to be honest... Just because you want to be an entrepreneur doesn't mean you should be an entrepreneur, mm. right? It's, it's some people are just almost meant to be working for somebody else and they work well in that environment and that's okay, right? I'm not saying one's better than the other. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I talked to a CEO of a large corporation recently. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to mention it, but it was like, <laughs> you would know it. And I said, are you an entrepreneur? And he runs all these people. Mm. Very creative place. And I go, are you an entrepreneur or a worker bee? And he goes, oh, without hesitation, I'm a worker bee. I don't have a creative bone in my body, but I can make things happen. I can hire the right talent. So it's not an either or. But really ask yourself, and I ask them, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Check in with yourself, articulate that. And as I said earlier, are you willing to do the work? Mm -hmm. And most of the time the answer is yes and great. And then we just start diving into it, fleshing out the idea coming up with different ways to look at uh, at their idea and helping them that way. Mm. Yeah, for those who wanting to be entrepreneurs for the first time, not properly recognizing the complexity that can bring oh. into your life, especially if you're not in a position financially right. to be able to have that. It's like imagine having something that potentially seven days a week is going to occupy your mind, take you away from your kids, all of those different things. It's tough. You and I had such a great conversation at dinner the other night. We were yeah. talking about parenting. Shout out to Brandon Adams as well, who I'm sure is watching or, or listening to this. What do you do specifically on uh, on the parenting side to make sure that you maintain a good relationship with your kids and support them in, in their journeys? Uh, I make sure they're, they're heard. They feel like they're heard. I make sure they're loved. They feel loved. And what I was doing without knowing it is I make them a part of the journey. Because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, they, they don't give you a manual. I can give you a manual how to make Pictionary. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it sounds very much like when you started Pictionary. Exactly. <laughs> now it's in the book. <laughs> but yeah, parenting is a tough job. And so just keep the lines of communication open. Uh, this is another one of those do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> you got to be the parent, not their friend. Mm. And and I was a lot of times a friend and it backfired. Uh, but I have a, an amazing relationship with my kids. And 
it's really my legacy. You know, Pictionary, the book, for me, great. But everything is my relationship with my children. Mm-hmm. And when they call and we talk all the time, that's that's what brings me joy. And it was work. And when, uh, you know, I just had a conversation with one of my, let's say one of my children, mm-hmm. somebody had been bothering them for years. And I wasn't hearing what was bothering and i kept answering the same way so finally with my own found knowledge i what am i missing Mm. so i went at it a different way and it just opened up the floodgates in a really positive way of conversation Mm. so just don't be afraid to have a conversation at any age with your kids uh and it just pays dividends i tell you Mm. Really powerful stuff. Was, was there anything specifically that you learned on your business journey with Pictionary that helped shape the way that you parent? <laughs> Obviously, you had the freedom to, yeah. to spend with them, yeah, which no, I think is great. I'm, I'm thinking that one through. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the answer says, first thing that came to mind was being adaptable. Yeah. Right? Mindset change, right? So for, for Pictionary, considering we didn't know what we were doing half the time, mm-hmm. which was fun, <laughs> we had to be, you know, profoundly flexible in everything we did. Now they call it adapting and pivoting. You just have to be flexible mm. because we didn't know what we were doing. And if something didn't work, we'd have to immediately change directions. And that's just true in business all the time. That's not, that's not a new concept. But we were willing to make the change. And so with my kids, now that I'm being asked the question, thank you, uh, you have to be profoundly flexible because they're, forget picture, they're changing every freaking day. Mm. Hormones kick in, and then they get a girlfriend, they get a boyfriend, and oh, uh, all these things are going crazy. So I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So you just have to be flexible with how they're growing, and hopefully you're growing at the same time, right? So yeah, flexible. I'm going with flexible. Answer says, Bob, flexible. All engine running. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round where we get to know the real you, Rob. Ten questions for some fairly uh, quick answers. You ready for this one? I'm going to have to be. (laughs) Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Uh, George Eliot, it's never too late who you might have been. So good. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? (laughs) You know, I thought it depends how much wine I've had (laughs) will dictate how much coffee I had in the morning. So both. Yeah, the relationship can be very very tightly correlated. You cannot separate the two. (laughs) Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Uh, Say no more often to things that don't serve me. Man, so many times I'd say yes to going on a a trip or staying out later or doing a business deal. And I knew that it didn't serve me and I'd still do it. And it just took up too much of my energy. So focused my energy on saying yes to the things that mattered. Oh, that is, there's one thing you take away from this. I feel like that's it. That's unbelievable, Rob. That's great advice. Uh, number four, what book do you gift the most? Game Changer, obviously. Game, <laughs> Game Changer by Rob Angel is a book. Where is that thing? <laughs> uh, Game Changer, of course, uh, found on Amazon. Uh, it's uh, The Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. I've given probably 50 copies of that. Four simple rules. Yeah. Don't make assumptions. Do your best. Be a man of your word. And don't take things personally. Uh, simple rules. Those aren't complicated. Read the book. Takes you two minutes. Fabulous. Good reminders. I uh, is that the one that Tom Brady? Have you heard of that? Is Tom Brady? I think a big fan of that one. I thought. Oh, I don't know, but year. he should be. I mean, yeah. it's, it's super simple. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, number five. Was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Insecurity. Mm. My insecurity and the the imposter syndrome and I didn't think I was good enough and 
You know, I was kind of always quiet instead of being verbose and be, I was humble. People looked at it as humble. Nah, I was insecure. But what it did was people opened up to me. They thought I was a good listener. And so now I do it on purpose and everybody tells me <laughs> their story and their business or their personal life. And so it's turned into a uh, really satisfying superpower. Yeah, that's great. Uh, number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? Oh, it's inevitable. Mm. But, but, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be, right? People say, fail fast. I hate that expression. <laughs> Don't fail fast. Try to, you know, try not to. Try not to fail. <laughs> try yeah. not to fail. And if you do fail, then you can learn from it and move on quickly. If you do, yeah, the cliche is true. Learn on. Move on. <laughs> Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? You know, I saw your intro when you've got Maximus up there. Yep. It's Marcus Aurelius. He was the king or the emperor. He was great Roman emperor, mm -hmm. but he was a stoic philosopher. And I'm really getting into... Uh, it's a book by Ryan, Hol Ryan Holiday. It's called The Daily Stoic. Mm -hmm. and my girlfriend and I read it every morning. It's very simple. But I'd like to love to sit with him about his stoic philosophy and just on life. Fabulous. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Uh, number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? <laughs> You're assuming I run my life or my business. <laughs> yes. Question the underlying uh, assumption yes. is important. I need an <laughs> assistant. Uh, no, it's the voice notes on my phone because I my stream of consciousness is 24-7. I don't remember 90% of the stuff I think about. So I voice note everything. It's mm -hmm. great. Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. I'm keen to hear your answer to this, considering you've already done so much. <laughs> uh, well, two, the turning the uh, podcast into a docuseries. And I want to be on how I built this. Mm. You know, I haven't been able to manage that. That's my bucket list. Mm -hmm. sure that TV show, uh, the, the podcast. podcast. Yeah. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? I give myself grace to to not be perfect i give myself when i start going crazy with my inner dialogue i give myself grace i take a breath i chill and then i can move forward good stuff rob well there are a bunch of ways you can connect with rob and we'll link to all of these in the show notes you can follow him on instagram at the raw at the rob angel visit his website robangel.com and grab a copy of his new book game changer on amazon again all of that and more will be linked in the show notes rob thanks so much for coming on the show james i love it thank you man <laughs> well if you enjoyed this episode hit the subscribe button and if you want to help spread the word please give us a five-star rating and tell your friends to subscribe too. win the day with james whittaker is available on apple Podcasts, spotify and youtube again the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life so if there's someone who needs to hear this episode share it with them right now that's all from rob and i here in the studio remember to get out there and win the day until next time onwards and upwards always